What a week it's been for Jesus. What a week it's been. Started with the anointing. Uh, I'm sure that was a late night. Trying to answer all the questions from the disciples, particularly Judas. He seemed interested. Why? Why didn't we give all that money away to the poor? Then you've got the next, uh, you got a Sabbath and you have the triumphal entry on Sunday. Jesus comes in. And Mark tells us that it was late when he got home that night, too. Actually, it was late before he left Jerusalem. And then he's got to walk back to Bethany. Uh, the next day is the day we call um, the clearing of the temple. And that was a big day for Jesus. Next day is the day we call the controversy in parables day. He spends time arguing with all of the teachers of the law about things like taxes. We don't know much about Wednesday. Uh, a lot of people suspect Jesus took a nap. Uh, I suspect maybe he did take a nap. Uh, maybe he took a nap. I suspect he spent a lot of time talking with his disciples, teaching, maybe praying, maybe getting ready for the day that was to come next. And then Thursday comes. Thursday comes. They've got to eat Passover. They've got to eat it in Jerusalem. So there's no more trips back out to Bethany for them. Jesus knows this is his last time to go in to the city. What a week it's been. Jesus knows that Satan has filled Judas. He knows that the divine plan is about to unfold. Jesus knows that he's been sold for a mere 30 pieces of silver to the Sanhedrin. You've got to wonder if Jesus thinks maybe you could have gotten a little more, Judas, if you'd held out just a little bit. Jesus knows that tomorrow when he looks at the disciples, they're all going to be scattered. They're going to be gone and it's at this moment that they get to the upper room. John records that when they get up there, nobody has washed anybody's feet. And yet they're sitting at the table. If it had been me, and I was Jesus, I think I would have had a highly mature spiritual response, which has been, do you understand that tomorrow... I'm going to save the world. Could one of you manage to get the water and the towel and wash your feet? At least we could wash our own feet for crying out loud, you bunch of slobs. That's not how the foot washing goes, if you're familiar with the story. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. Like you bunch of lazy slobs. He just says, let me do this for you. And he takes his coat off. And he puts the towel around his waist and he goes foot to dusty foot, washing the feet of the disciples. What a week it's been. What a week it's been. And in the midst of this week, Jesus takes the time to have this meal. I don't know what kind of week you've had this week. Maybe you've had a really good week. Maybe you've had a bad week. I doubt it compares in its fullness to the week Jesus has had. I mean, I doubt there's anybody in this room who all of Bowling Green wants to crucify on a cross, literally. Although maybe you've said that this week. Maybe you've said, you know, you don't have to crucify me. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you have felt abandoned. Maybe you felt betrayed. Maybe you can relate a little bit to how Jesus feels. But in the midst of all this, Jesus institutes this beautiful memorial 
we call the Lord's Supper. And I want to just look at that today in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. It says, While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And the implication is with you, with you. In the midst of this week, in the midst of the week where Jesus had been broken, and I'm not talking just physically, but emotionally, people had given him their worst. And it's at that moment he gives them his best. He says, this is my body. And for all of you that have been broken, and for all of you that have been betrayed, and for all of you that have been abandoned, this is my body for you. My body is broken so that your brokenness might be made whole, Jesus says. I want you to take my body. Take my body and be made whole. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, a new covenant. Take it and drink. You know, covenants are interesting things. Some of you ladies have been through the covenant study. I should have one of you come up here and share about it. Covenants are interesting things. It's not just a promise. It's not even like a vow where if you break, if you break your end of the deal, well, then I'm free to break mine. Covenant is, I swear to you, I swear to God, I swear to me. And even though you make your part and your part fails, I still have made this promise to God. I've still made this promise to myself. I'm going to keep this promise. And so this week, perhaps you have been thrown under and the common courtesy and word and pact and understanding or even vow that you had with somebody else seems to be disregarded. Jesus says, my blood is here. My covenant is here for you. How many of us have been betrayed? Maybe it's by a coworker. Maybe they, they betrayed you. They sacrificed you literally on the altar of their success. Thank you very much. You've been betrayed. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend. And a friend let you down. You told them something in confidence. And you had a pact, an understanding. And they broke that. And now you've been betrayed. Maybe you've even felt the stinging loss of a betrayal in a marriage vow. If so, you know the pain that hurts when vows are broken. People leave you. They leave you abandoned. They leave you alone. And you look and there's nobody there. Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant. I will always be here. It will always be here for you. This is what Jesus is doing here at the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper started off as a Passover meal. You may remember what the Passover meal was. 
The Passover meal was a meal where all of the Jewish folks would get together and they would eat it in celebration. At this time, when you had the, you had to have the, the lamb sacrificed in the temple, they would essentially dress it and prepare it for you. You would, all you'd have to do is take it home and put it over fire. You know that that's all that you had to do with it. And you had to eat it inside of Jerusalem. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees extended the city, city limit. So that way you could eat it a little bit closer. Uh, or, sorry, you could eat a little bit further out than you normally could. And, and so th- this is a, a thing where everybody packs into Jerusalem in order to remember the Passover. Uh, the Passover was accompanied with sort of a rite, an order of service, if you will. Today, if you go to a Jewish person's home... Uh, they'll have what is called a Haggadah, and that is essentially, it's a pamphlet-like hymnal that tells you the prayer and the song and, and the order in which to have the Passover meal. It's all kind of scripted. It, it starts with a prayer, a blessing. Today, the women uh, do the blessing, and they light the candles, and then they start the meal together, and there's a rote, there's, there's a script to the whole thing. We have nothing really like this, but if you think back to your family holidays, you know, you've got family holidays where certain things happen in certain ways. You know, for Thanksgiving, you always got turkey and mashed potatoes and nobody eats them, but you make the, the, the sweet potatoes anyway. And, and you, you do all those kinds of things. And then there's usually this awkward exchange where somebody will be like, well, let's all share what we're thankful for. And everybody's like, who invited that guy? And, and so then you go around and you have this exchange. There's sort of an order to that. Now, imagine taking like the order of a church service, putting it in with your Thanksgiving meal. And this is what you have for Passover. And throughout the evening, there was an order to all of it. The youngest, the boy, would normally ask the question, Dad, why is this different from every other night? And this was just a setup. He's the shill in the audience. And his dad goes, well, son, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about the Passover story. And he tells the story about how God delivered them and brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they all remembered that. And God instituted this for them so that they would remember the covenant and I think renew themselves in it. You know, it's one thing, you know, to celebrate an anniversary, but there's something about celebrating an anniversary. It reminds you, hey, I made a promise. And I'm, I'm not just celebrating that, but I'm renewing myself in it as well. This is Passover. It is a remembering. It is a renewing. In Deuteronomy 16.3, as they start talking about the institution of this for all time, uh, God says, he says, for seven days... You shall eat unleavened bread with the bread of affliction because you came out of the land of Egypt in great haste so that all the days of your life, that's a long time, you may remember the day of your departure from the land of Egypt. God is saying, I want you to remember this, to remember your deliverance, to remember your salvation. That's the word we would put with it. God, as he institutes Passover, says through Moses, he says, listen, every year I want you to get together. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so they would have food that would remind them of Egypt. They'd all eat bitter herbs that remind them of their bitter life. They'd dip it in salt water. Bitter herbs and salt water. Mm, reminds them of the tears they spent in Egypt. Reminds them of passing through the Red Sea. They'd eat this, this pink thing, they call it Cheriseth. I, I can never pronounce that right. It's, it's mixed up pink stuff. What's it remind you of? It reminds you of the clay that they used to make bricks of in the land of Egypt. They now today have a shank bone of a lamb there to remind them of the Passover lamb. Everything means something. And everybody knows what it means. And it's kind of one of those things you could come to Passover if you're a Jewish uh, boy, girl, man, woman, and you could do it in autopilot. You could, you could finish the guy's sentence because you know how it's supposed to go. It's the same speech year after year 
after year. And it's at this point Jesus decides that he is going to institute the Lord's Supper. He lifts up the bread. And the traditional Jewish blessing was, Praise be thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And you can kind of see these disciples, these grown men, tuning up to say it with him. Praise be thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. Amen. Let's eat. And that's, that's kind of what they got. But Jesus doesn't do that this time. He lifts up the loaf. What does he say? He says, this is my body. And now everybody that was on autopilot through Passover is now awake. And they're going, wait a second. That's not the blessing of the bread. That's not the blessing of the bread. What is this? Jesus says, take this. This is my body, which God has brought forth. You can kind of imagine they're putting the connections together. He says the same thing with a cup. Now, Passover cup is interesting because they didn't just have one cup of wine. They actually had four cups of wine every Passover. Now, now we need to talk about wine. It, it was wine, folks. But, but you need to understand how ancient wine worked. They drank it with water. They mixed it. They always mixed their wine. So it's three parts water to one part wine. That's how the Jewish folks at this time mix their wine. It's three parts water to one part wine. So that's a 25th of a glass of wine in every glass of wine. So if you have four glasses of wine, math majors, do this with me. Four times 0.25 equals one, okay? Now, the reason I say that is when the disciples start falling asleep in Gethsemane, I don't want you to think it's because they've had one too many. That's not the case at all. I think it's important we understand the, the context here. Uh, but this is what they would do. They would have four cups of wine throughout Passover. And each cup, what was a blessing was associated with it. It wasn't just, uh, oh, there's more. Well, let's keep drinking until it's all gone. That wasn't how it worked. There was a, there was a blessing associated with each cup. Th- this blessing comes from Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. Cup 1, before the meal. They would, they would quote from there and say, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. So cup one is a statement about God, a statement about God's active uh, nature in their life, his desire to intervene. I am the Lord, I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. Cup two, right before the meal, would be, I will free you from being slaves to them. And so they would go through this verse. So cup one was about God. It was a looking back about who God is. Cup two is a statement about God freeing them in, in a point in time of slavery to the Egyptians. Cup three no longer looks back, but it looks to the present moment and even to the future. Cup three of Passover, there would be a blessing that say, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And to the Jewish folks living under Roman rule, this cup meant something to them still. They were looking forward to the redemption, to God's mighty arm being outstretched, to that deliverance happening. And cup four, the final cup, after meal, said, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Now, Luke records two cups based on where Mark places it, and looking at the way the other guys do it too, it seems that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper with that last cup. They've been through the first three. He maybe skips the third too, but he definitely skips the fourth. And on the fourth one, he doesn't say, I will take you as my own people, I will be your God. He says, do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood, my blood of the new covenant. Now, do you notice that Jesus says, I will not have this with you? 
Jesus abstains from this cup. He says, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it with you in eternity. There's a lot of beauty to that if you think about it. The first three cups, one is about God's desire to save, about God slaving him from slavery. And then the third one is about, I'm going to redeem you with outstretched arms. And you wonder if the disciples just missed it until later. I bet they got it eventually. But Jesus says, I'm not going to drink that fourth cup. The one that says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Why is it that Jesus doesn't drink that cup? He invites them to drink it. Because all that they've got to do is to accept him. But Jesus, he's like that lovesick parent waiting for all the kids to come home. And he says, listen, I'm not going to drink this until I get to drink it with all of my people, with all of my children in one place together. You drink it. You remember me. You celebrate me. I'm not going to stop thinking about you. But I'm not going to celebrate until we're all home safely together. Jesus institutes Passover. And instead of that last blessing, I will be your God and you will be my people, he shocks the disciples again and he says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. And so this week, if you've experienced betrayal, Jesus invites you to the table. And he says, this is the blood of my covenant. It's not going to be broken. No matter what promises your friends break or your family breaks or even your spouse may break, I will not break this. I won't. Because it's made in my blood. For those of you that are lonely or broken, have been hurt, Jesus says, this is my body. It is broken for you so that you would find wholeness in me. What a beautiful gift for us to come to remember Christ's sacrifice, but also like Passover to renew ourselves in this covenant one more week. And yet, I don't know who you are, but I know there's at least one or two of you in this room that you're thinking, I'm not going to take communion today. You, you knew it coming in here. You said, you know what? This week's been tough. This week, I, I've not been betrayed. I've been the betrayer. This week, I've not been abandoned. I've been the abandoner. This week, it, I've not been wronged. I've done the wrong. And you think, you know, I just can't come to the table in good conscience. I can't come to the table. It feels wrong for me to come to the table. I'll tell you what hit me like a ton of bricks this week as I looked at this passage. It's where it's placed in the book of Mark. Right before supper, as good dinner conversation, Jesus opens up the meal by saying, Hey, listen, one of you in this room that takes food with me, that dips the hand in the same bowl, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And yet, even though he was going to be betrayed, what did he say? He said, this is my body. It's for you. This is my blood. It is for you. Right after supper, what does Mark record? Jesus says, listen, tonight, all of you, all of you are going to flee. You're going to leave. I'm going to look for you. I'm not going to find you because you're going to run away from me. Not only are you going to run away from me, but Peter, you're going to completely deny me. 
You're going to tell other people that you don't even know who I am. And yet what has Jesus just said to Peter? Peter, this is my body. This is my blood. And it is for you. It is for you who have been abandoned, who have done the abandoning. It is for you who have been betrayed and who have done the betraying. This is my body. It's for you. This is my blood. It's for you. The blood of the covenant is an interesting thing. If you go back to the covenant of Moses, the covenant starts in Exodus 24 where Moses takes the blood of an animal and he sprinkles it on all the people. Sprinkles the blood on the people and says, all right, that's it. You've been sealed in the blood of the covenant. Jesus takes that and he doesn't say, this is my blood and sprinkles it on them. He says, this is my blood. Take and drink. Dressing up the outside. The blood on the outside is not enough. If you are the betrayer, then you need to drink this because it comes inside and it makes a change. If you are the abandoner, then you need to take this because it comes inside and it makes whole what is broken. This covenant is no longer external. It comes inside. It's like what Jeremiah was saying when he says that he's going to write this covenant on our hearts. Communion is a very personal thing where we come as betrayed and betray, as, as abandoned as an abandoner's, as broken people. And we say, God, I'm going to renew. I'm going to remember and I'm going to take this inside and I'm going to allow it to make a change in me. This morning... You know, a lot of things you can talk about in communion. But one of the things people want to talk about is how present is God in communion? There's all sorts of discussions throughout the church. Is Jesus with communion? Is he communion? Is this just a representation of communion? I think that's the least important of our concerns. I think the question is how present are we at communion? We come to the table with all sorts of things, with everything from our week going on. We live in a distracted age. We're waiting for scores and the ticker tape to update us on news. This morning, it's important. It's important that you come to the table fully present. It's important that you come here in remembrance of Him. That you come here renewing yourself in the covenant of His blood. It's important. One week to live, it's over. Jesus knows that. And right at the end, he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood. Emptied for you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now. And as we sing this song, we prepare our hearts and our minds for communion. As we come to this table, we think of 110 different reasons why, why we shouldn't be here, why we shouldn't partake, why we shouldn't be at the table, why we're not fit, why we're not this, why we're not that. And it's as though you interrupt us and say, this is my body. It's for you. 
Lord, it's not our table, it's not our body, it's yours, and you are the one who gives it to us. Lord, help us to be fully present as we both remember your sacrifice and renew ourselves and our commitment to you and to your covenant. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.